everybody. I'm Jeff Kralowitz, welcoming you to The Crude Report, which is Argus's podcast on trends in the crude oil markets. There's so much going on with the COVID Omicron variant, the Biden administration's decision to sell or lend 50 million barrels of crude out of the SPR, and the balancing act that keeps going on between OPEC Plus and U.S. shale producers, both of whom really have shown a lot of restraint in boosting drilling in the face of prices that had been rising right up until Friday. But with all of that news, and we hope you'll continue to watch Argus coverage of that, in times like this, it's really good to review some of the basic nuts and bolts of how the crude oil business works. And we're here to do that today with Chris Baltimore, who's editor of one of my favorite publications at Argus, which is the weekly Petroleum Transportation North America. Every Saturday morning, Chris, I I curl up with a coffee and a copy of your publication to try to understand what's going on with liquid pipelines, train routes, barred links, regulation, investment in the infrastructure sector that moves oil in North America. So we're really happy to have you and pick your brain a little on this podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff, so much. Uh, Thanks. uh, It's a I'm glad to hear that I'm uh, a part of your Saturday morning routine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess maybe the, the best thing to do is start with the biggest piece of infrastructure, and that's the cap line. When, when I started at Argus about a million years ago, it was uh, running over a million barrels a day of mostly light crude up from St. James, Louisiana to Patoka. Um, now it's reversed, of course, and it looks like it's starting commercial service in January. What can you tell us about what's going on with CapLine and what its significance is to the overall sector? Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, it seems like we've been talking about the CapLine reversal for years. Uh, it's definitely uh, stretches back into uh, the, the Pleistocene era of, uh, of of our coverage, but it, it looks like it's finally happening for real. Uh, as you mentioned, flows uh, on that CapLine uh, commercial flows uh, set to begin in January on uh, the reverse line from Patoka to St. James, Louisiana. Um, just a little bit of ancient history here. Uh, you know, Capline opened in 1967. Um, that was before I was born, just for the record. Um, and, you know, it was a, a crude supply lifeline for mid-continent refiners uh, uh, at a time when the U.S. was, was much more dependent on, on imports. Uh, and that Capline uh, provided a key uh, supply path uh, from uh, the Loop, the Louisiana offshore oil port uh, up to uh, mid-continent refiners. Um, uh, things have changed, of course, uh, with uh, growing uh, U.S. domestic you know, crude production. Uh, but in its, in its original northbound uh, configuration, Capline offered 1.2 million barrels per day of capacity, and it was the largest long-haul oil line in the continental U.S. Uh, initial capacity on that reconfigured south-facing pipeline is dramatically lower at just over 100,000 barrels per day. That piece is something that people ask about all the time. Why is it that a one million barrel a day plus line going north is only going to run about a hundred thousand barrels a day going south? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's it's, it's a good question, and it is uh, um, a, a pretty staggering statistic. There, kind of one tenth of the capacity, but um, uh, it really has to do with the number of operational pump stations uh, that uh, Caplines operators have decided. Uh, to put in place uh, to support uh, demand, contracted demand on that line. Um, so when Capline was operating in its original northbound mode, it had 16 pump stations running. Um, 
uh, at the moment, uh, only three of those 16 pump stations have been uh, configured to support the southbound service. Uh, Capline said it wasn't feasible to reconfigure more of those pump stations based on shipper commitments uh, that it got during an open season that it held for uh, reversed cap line capacity, uh, as well as the costs needed to do that work. Um, but it wouldn't be surprising to see that line's capacity increase over the next couple of years as cap lines owners figure out how to, uh, you know, de-bottleneck the line, route more crude through the system. That reverse cap line, uh, even from the outset, will offer more feedstock options for refiners in eastern Louisiana who have primarily looked to U.S. offshore sour crudes, uh, as well as heavy uh, imported crude from Venezuela and Mexico and Canada to fill those units. Um, though U.S. Gulf Coast refiners in Texas have had more options to source U.S. shale crudes from the Permian Basin and the Bakken shale because of more uh, pipeline connectivity, you know, the further west you get, uh, those Louisiana refiners uh, have benefited, benefited less from that increased supply of inland domestic crude, which they'll get through the cap line. Great. Okay, so because of tight time, let's move directly to the Permian, which is, you know, looking to be the engine of uh, any kind of U.S. crude production growth going forward. Uh, there was a time just a couple years ago when pipeline capacity from the Permian to the coast was pretty constrained, and you had huge diffs between Midland and, and the coast. That all has changed. So, where do we stand with the Permian pipeline capacity, do you think? Yeah, it really does look like uh, Permian pipeline capacity has gone uh, from famine to feast uh, in recent years with the addition of so much capacity. Um, it is hard to overstate the importance of the Permian Basin there in uh, Texas and New Mexico, uh, which will drive the lion's share of output growth uh, uh, in the U.S. over the next few years, uh, just because of its, you know, relative geographical advantage. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, pipeline connectivity to uh, to the Gulf Coast, as well as the export markets there, uh, as, as well as, you know, kind of more uh, competitive extraction costs in the Permian than other basins like uh, the Bakken or the Eagle Ford and such. Um, according to Plains, uh, one of the big uh, midstream operators, uh, the Permian will drive the, the vast majority of U.S. crude output growth in coming years, uh, with the potential to increase by over 2 million barrels per day through 2025. Uh, you'd mentioned um, the, the the differentials and uh, how how different <laughs> the differentials were back in 2018 or so when the spreads between the Permian Basin's uh, main pricing hub at Midland uh, and prices at Houston made pipeline expansions an extremely hot topic. Uh, producers were so eager to get their crew to market that they were uh, railing it out of the Permian Basin and hiring long-haul trucks to drive it halfway across the state to uh, Corpus Christi, Gardendale, or, or other places where they could get it uh, onto the pipeline network. Um, those kind of heroic acts uh, are no longer the norm uh, after a handful of uh, U.S. crude pipeline expansions that survived uh, a COVID-19 kind of cost-cutting blitz by U.S. midstream companies are, are coming into service. Those pipes come at the tail end of a massive uh, multi-year midstream build-out that uh, was pushed by record high production and growing exports that added more than two and a half uh, million barrels a day of takeaway capacity from the Permian. Uh, the largest of those projects is known as Wink to Webster. Uh, 
and uh, it's uh, uh, flows are ramping up on that line. Uh, that line uh, is led by Exxon Mobil. Uh, it's uh, 1.5 million barrels per day of capacity uh, from Wink to Webster. Um, other pipeline owners include Plains, Delic, Lotus Midstream, and Rattler Midstream. Um, that system moves crude from Wink and Midland and the Permian to multiple locations near Houston, including Webster and Baytown, with connectivity to Texas City and Beaumont. Uh, we would anticipate a lot of the liquidity on that line uh, going straight to refiners than, rather than being traded um, in the open market. Uh, keep in mind that Exxon Mobil has its uh, 560,000 barrel a day refinery in Baytown and uh, also a quite large refinery in Beaumont. Um, but on top of Wink to Webster, uh, we also have seen uh, large additions from Cactus 2, uh, the Epic line, uh, the Gray Oak pipeline. Uh, so there are you know, fewer barrels these days looking to fill more pipelines, and that hasn't been uh, the best formula for uh, uh, full liquid pipelines. Um, uh, adding to the mix is uh, energy transfer, which continues to ramp up capacity on its Dakota Access pipeline uh, from the Bakken Shale uh, across to Patoka and then uh, a connecting pipeline down to Nederland, Texas. Um, uh, the capacity on the DAPA line has been increased uh, by nearly 200,000 barrels a day to 750,000 barrels a day. And uh, Jeff, that's going to put uh, more Bakken crude into Nederland, Texas, where it will be available for export as well as for uh, feedstock use at Eastern Gulf Coast refineries. Okay, thanks. That's a lot of balls in the air to keep track of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the DAPL expansion, uh, and so there are expansions continuing to go on, but the consensus is that in Texas anyway, you know, we've, we've kind of overbuilt this system for a while, and uh, what can you tell us about this uh, problem or potential problem of pipelines running way below capacity or, or even empty? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of new pipe in the ground for sure uh, that came online really just as uh, a lot of those uh, COVID-19 induced uh, demand impacts were, were starting to uh, take shape. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's hard to get an exact read on individual pipeline flows, but uh, sometimes uh, it helps to kind of put things together uh, um, uh, and looking um, at uh, kind of uh, uh, the five biggest U.S. midstream operators. It, it looks like uh, flows are bouncing back uh, from uh, those COVID-19 lows. Uh, it looks like... Uh, 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 overall, those flows kind of bottomed out in the first quarter of 2021 uh, with the big five U.S. midstream operators kind of uh, coming in just below uh, 11 million barrels per day in the, there in the first quarter of 2021. Um, now those flows have bounced back uh, by about 15% in the third quarter, uh, which is the most recent uh, you know, reporting uh, segment that we've had. Uh, they bounced back uh, to about 12 and a half million barrels per day, but, but that's still well below uh, the 14.3 million barrels per day kind of peak set in the first quarter of, uh, of 2020. 
there before uh, you know the pandemic hit, and we had a battle for market share uh, between Saudi Arabia and Russia that sent crude prices tumbling to historic lows, if you'll recall. Um, so you know some infrastructure companies are are, are struggling to fill their their pipelines. Uh, you know, uh, 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 market uh, rates are are well below kind of the walk up tariff rates. Uh, others uh, seem to be more uh, protected by uh, long-term uh, shipping uh, deals that they might have inked uh, before uh, before the uh, the pandemic set in. Okay, so one of the things that came to mind as you were describing all of that is uh, at the beginning you mentioned that the Permian capacity for production. Uh, could rise to 7 million barrels a day by 2025. In other words, an extra 2 million barrels a day from where we are now. Um, but the question, I think, is with all of this uh, underutilized pipeline capacity, will the pipeline companies have patience to wait for that extra 2 million barrels a day? Or are they likely to take some steps now to repurpose or deal with spare capacity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that does seem to be uh, a question that is in the background um, on a lot of these uh, analyst calls. Uh, uh, midstream companies will will get this question put to them. Uh, what about rationalizing your pipeline assets? What about uh, you know uh, selling them, repurposing them? Um, there has been talk about sort of new uh, uh, renewable fuels, uh, greener fuels uh, like uh, ammonia and so being able to fill uh, some of the backlog. Um, but uh, there is this uh, question about whether some of these assets can be repurposed uh, to carry other products like uh, like gasoline or uh, jet fuel or diesel, uh, or whether they uh, would be taken out of service completely. Um, you know, uh, some companies like Magellan and Enterprise uh, have discussed this idea in principle uh, of repurposing pipelines or rationalizing their assets. Um, but they've been very cautious to date to uh, make sure uh, that we all know that uh, these discussions are on a very theoretical plane um, and that uh, movement on this issue really is not expected in the near term. Okay. And we are running out of time. Let's make the last question about Canada because uh, an increasing amount of the crude that gets to the Gulf Coast is coming from, from Canada, uh, sometimes up to around 600,000 barrels a day. Um, I know that you have some news on the Enbridge mainline up there. And uh, more generally, I guess, uh, the question is, is congestion an issue of the past of uh, the ability to get crude out of Western Canada? Yeah, um, egress capacity out of Western Canada has been uh, a hot button issue in recent years, uh, you know, with an ensuing focus on rail to serve as a, a safety valve for uh, what had been massive congestion on uh, Enbridge's mainline uh, pipeline network. That's the three million barrel per day network uh, that that really is the, the lifeline for uh, WCSB uh, production to reach, uh, you know, the mid-continent and even uh, with, with routing all the way to the Gulf Coast. Um, at one point, you know, Alberta's government resorted to curtailments, uh, output curtailments, and made massive investments in railed crew 
crude infrastructure to try to get a handle on kind of runaway differentials uh, at the Canadian uh, crude logistics hub, the Partisty, uh, where prices were discounted as much as you know fifty dollars uh, uh, under the U.S. benchmark. Um, those uh, price disruptions have uh, been mostly tamed. Uh, by uh, a, a big long haul project that went into service in October uh, and another one that's uh, gonna be coming online uh, late in 2022 or early 2023. Um, you'll recall that the uh, the high profile Keystone XL pipeline uh, was suspended after running into uh, uh, a political roadblock with the Biden administration, but uh, other high capacity projects are still in the works um, that are gonna significantly boost Canadian egress capacity. Um, um, uh, yeah, you mentioned the big news. Uh, late last week, uh, Canadian regulators rejected a plan by Enbridge to shift um, its mainline pipeline network to contract carriage from common service. Um, this would have been a, a, a big uh, sea change in the way that uh, Canadian crude moves across uh, the mainline network. Um, Enbridge now is going to have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, it said that it uh, could uh, refile a fixed tariff tolling arrangement or even a cost of service tariff plan um, and is envisioning kind of a new uh, regulatory review process and uh, uh, that could conclude in 2023. Uh, but Jeff, but despite those setbacks, uh, uh, there still looks to be uh, a fairly workable delivery system out of Canada. Um, Enbridge uh, in October started service on its Line 3 replacement project uh, from Alberta to Wisconsin. Uh, that uh, nearly doubles you know, that line's capacity. Um, and waiting in the wings is uh, the Trans Mountain expansion um, that will add uh, nearly 600,000 barrels per day of capacity from Western Canada and is expected to be on stream uh, late 2022 early 2023 that opens the door to more heavy crude movements to Canada's west coast uh, and for potential export. Uh, so all in all, you know, the, the North American pipeline capacity puzzle looks, you know, manageable at the moment with plenty of uh, capacity for all. Um, that could change, of course, if North American producers decide to respond to rising crude prices uh, by opening the taps. Um, that seems uh, a little uh, less likely now that WT WTI prices are trading closer to $70 today. Uh, that's down significantly from uh, even just about a week ago, Jeff, when uh, uh, prices were, were up above 80 bucks a barrel. Um, prices are down significantly with news of this new Omicron variant that you mentioned uh, and its potential negative impact on global crude demand. Uh, but uh, for now, uh, it looks like things are mostly quiet on the pipeline front. Okay, Chris, this has been uh, a really good wrap of the major developments on infrastructure. And I just want to remind people that you guys every Friday night put out the uh, Petroleum Transportation North America report, which is just a great uh, summary of all the logistics news, the regulation, everything that affects how uh, liquids, uh, petroleum liquids move around North America. Uh, for all of y'all who are listening, I want to thank you for joining us. Please check out the Petroleum Transportation North America. Uh, I think there are some sample copies available on our website at argusmedia.com. 
uh, or there's also a lot of free content on ArgusMedia.com web webinars. Uh, these podcasts are posted there. So, and if you want to take a look at any of our publications, please be in touch with us, and we'd be happy to give you a closer look at what we're doing. Uh, finally, I guess best wishes to everyone as we start this holiday season, and please join us again for the next edition of the Crude Report. Thank you.